Thank you for joining us here at Lowell Assembly's online service. My name is Pastor Paul, and I'm so grateful that you're giving your attention. Promise that we're going to say something worth you listening to. But if you'd help us out, we want to get the message out further and faster. If you'd look around at all the different links and things that are there, if you'd click like, if you would share it with others, and if you'd follow, we'd be grateful. We believe we got a great encouraging truth that we're trying to share with the world around us, and you help us get there further faster. So appreciate that. We've been in a series talking about the gospel, which means good news. And no book captures it better than the book of Romans. No two verses condense it in a thesis statement better than Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And the entire book of Romans reflect back to that truth. And the chapter that we're going to look at here this week and the next message, chapter 1 and chapter 2, is where God talks about sin to those outside of religion and those chapter two, inside religion. This week, we're going to focus on chapter one. And it's going to rub shoulders with a couple of topics for those of you that are intellects out there. Atheism, agnosticism, moral relativism. Uh, there, and I could, would be crazy to think that I could satisfy your curiosity in 30 minutes, let alone 34 letters. So my encouragement to you is to pick up the book of Romans and read it. Many of you uh, that have stopped attending church since COVID's hit. If you've even stopped picking up this book, it's time to pick it up in the book of Romans, chapter a day, it'll help you. But I wanna say thank you to every single one of you who are not normally church watchers, not sure where God fits into your life. He wants to be the center of it. And I pray that God's gonna give me the grace to help me to be able to validate that for you here, or at least begin that journey in that direction. So let me pray and then let me read. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every single person listening and looking. And I pray that you'd help us to help me to communicate in such a way for those that are listening that their heart would burn and yearn to know the God of creation, to allow him back in their life, to allow him back in their reflection and to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to become their story and Jesus to be their savior. I thank you in your name. Amen. Listen to this. Romans chapter one. We talked last week about the wrath of God being revealed. And that means God basically saying, hey, I'm just, I'm letting you go. Just like a father or a mother that raises you and has power over you. Go to your room, you're grounded. There comes a point where you realize you no longer have power, you only have influence. And so they say, if they're not gonna listen to me, I have to let them go, but I will be ready to receive them back and treat their wounds and restore them if they're willing to come home to me. And that's what God giving them over to is. But listen to this. It says this, the wrath of God is revealed from chapter Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them for his invisible qualities, his attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that men are without excuse. Look at me for a second and listen to this. It's interesting that while philosophy, sociology, psychology continues strongly from the Renaissance to the postmodern era to vehemently debate the existence of God, when God is given the opportunity in scripture to talk on behalf of himself 
We're looking at him and saying, I don't believe in God. God's looking back at everyone and saying, I don't believe in atheists. Why? Because of what I just read there. For, the in, for what, God, what can be known about God is plain to them. God's saying, hey, I made it clear to you, plain to you, because God has shown it to them. How has he shown it to them? His invisible attributes, his namely, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly perceived. Really? When did you have that conversation with me, God? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, what God would say to the, to the atheist, to the sociologist, to the philosopher, he'd say, I don't believe in atheists because nobody is born an atheist. Somewhere at some point in their life, we look up to the stars, we look into the molecular biology and, and under a microscope, the first person to see DNA, the first two words that came out of their mouth were so beautiful. There's something about being there present for the birth of your child or the wonder and awe of nature. The fact that if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd be fried and a little bit further back, we'd be frozen. That there's a sense of order there's a sense of, of God here. And in fact, it has been, men have, just as what the, the Apostle Paul is saying here, that their ungodliness and their unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What he's saying is, is that God is like a father who created a world and a home for us to dwell in him with relationship. But the father wasn't welcome and neither was his opinion because it went against the grain of our desires and our drives and every single one of us born with a sinful human nature. Philosophy would tell you that man is getting better. That argument is getting old. It started in the Renaissance. It went through the Enlightenment. It went into the modern age and in post-modernity. I'm sorry, I look at the human race and I don't see us getting better. I see us being more of the same of what we were all along, far from God, without God totally pushing God out of the door, shoving him out of the, the room, saying, please stay away. We don't want to hear it. And God would say, you can't silence me because somebody looks up and out and in. We brag about how we say how many light years a star is away from us, and yet we can't even get a human being past Mars. And we say that man is evolving his way up into a better state without God, and yet they said that World War I would be the war to end all wars. Then we had World War II. And I don't think anyone's going to survive World War III. We're not getting better, friend. We're getting worse. Common sense plays that out. Now, I will say, currently in the culture, we have a revitalization of atheism that's been uh, popularized with a term by journalists called the new atheism. And Reasons for God in an Age of Skepticism really goes into this very well. But people like Richard Dawkins... People like Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, all of them have written books that have really resonated with the culture that says, I want God out of the picture, not in the picture. I don't believe he's there. He's, and God is saying, I don't believe that you're really atheists by birth. Because if you look at what's created, there's not disorder, there's order. If there is a painting, you won't debate with me that there wasn't a painter. If there was a building, you won't argue with me that there wasn't a builder. If there's a creation, why do we argue that there isn't a creator? I'll tell you why. Because by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. We want to remove God because God is holy. He is pure. 
And when we stand next to him, it doesn't show us how good we are, but it shows us how far we are. You know, what's interesting is that Paul in the book of Romans in chapter one and chapter two is trying to start off by saying, until you're willing to admit you're sick, you'll never look for a cure. And he's not just pointing at the world. You know what? If I could apologize to every single one of you who are not Christians, for every obnoxious Christian who shoved standards of God and sin in your face and tried to rub your face in it with shame and humiliation and, quite frankly, with lack of humility in their face, please take my apology on behalf of them, on behalf of God. Because in chapter one, God goes through and says, yes, you need me. Yes, I'm holy. Yes, you're sinful. But in chapter two, if you want me to light up the church and you want to sit back and enjoy that, come in next time we go because we're going after it because you, there are people and church, church is filled with people who are on their way to church and they're not on their way to heaven because they're trying to be their own savior. They're trying to say, I'm good enough. There is no good enough. But there is no atheist. Because God has revealed himself through what's created so that men are without excuse. And while these particular new atheism philosophers are putting out there something that's resonating with the culture, it's really a lot of their arguments are old arguments and they're, they're, a dialogue can totally work their way through it. But you look at the old, uh, Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion. Let me read a quote from him. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it and petty, unjust, unforgiving, a control freak, vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleansing, misogynist, homophobic, racist, on and on and on, basically, without doubt, a, a, a malicious, malevolent bully. That, that would be somebody who doesn't fully understand how to read narrative and scripture and clearly does not believe in God. I don't, I'm not angry at him for that, but God is not looking at him saying, no, you're right, I don't exist. He's saying, no, I'm sorry, you're without excuse. I've revealed myself through what's been created so that men are without excuse. In fact, his argument would be because of your unrighteousness and your ungodliness, you suppress, push down. It's like whack-a-mole. Every time a mole shows its head, poof, poof, the second it doesn't matter, There's don't even give it a 34-letter tweet. You just hit it down. And then he goes a little further and Paul continues the debate here. And he says this, he says, therefore God gave, uh, let me get, let me go back here. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor God. As, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. We talked about this last week, but the downward spiral is that not only do we uh, see God in creation, but then we don't honor him or give him thanks. That's any relationship needs to feel value, and it needs to have gratitude in it. And God's saying, listen, I revealed myself to you, and then I tried to become a part of your world, but instead you devalued me, and you silenced me, and you moved me out. And in fact, even despite me doing great things, blessing you with life, a family, resource, all of those things, you, you didn't even give me thanks. But they became futile in their thinking and foolish, their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The 
father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, or one of them, certainly, he made a statement about the Ten Commandments and idolatry in particular. He says, if you go there, it says, I'm the Lord your God. Apart from me, there is no other. You shall not have any graven images. He says, none of the other commandments are broken without first breaking the first. And that is acknowledging that God is God and two, exchanging him in place for an idol. What's idolatry? I love the definition that came out of that book, Reasons for God in an Age of Skepticism. What is religion? It's a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, the most important things to human beings, what we should spend our time doing. Some call that a worldview. You could also give it the title of religion. What's interesting is not only do we have a world around us that's saying God's not real, the new atheism, and God's saying, no, I don't believe in atheists. You can say I'm not real, but I don't think you're being real because I've revealed myself through creation. You just want to keep me outside the door and not continue the conversation. But then in our public sector, we, we have people that are saying, hey, there's no room for religious discussion in the world around us. In fact, there's a philosopher who just recently passed away in Lexington, Massachusetts. His name is Robert Rawls. He died there in 2002. He's a proponent of social liberalism. And he had a group of philosophers sign what was called the Declaration of Defense of Science and Secularism, which called for the leaders of government not to permit legislation or any executive action influenced on the belief, uh, on religious beliefs. Well, if religion or religious belief is described as people that are saying this is what's most important for your life and this is what's valuable and this is what humanity should give itself to and you want to silence church, that, that, that actually makes no sense. And for him to say that the voice of the church has no place at the table of it is, a, is completely not what the, second, the First Amendment to the Constitution of Freedom of Religion was all about. In fact, this country was established because the Puritans were fleeing persecution in England. And then they repeated the same disease. And that's how Rhode Island was formed because Roger Williams was getting persecuted by the Puritans for not having their expression of religion. And finally, the government said, you know what? We need to make sure that we can give free expression of religion. I'm not going around insulting, harming, destroying property of people who don't believe in God and Jesus Christ in the values of this church or whatever, nor, nor should you. And I think that the real question is, how do, who determines what's right and what's wrong? Well, God says, I've shown you what's right and wrong. I, I'm the creator of the universe. The word holy, literally, it means God's purity. How do you know something's pure? Well, it means that you've tasted something that's pure. How do you know if something is the right measurement? Let's take it real quick from this. If you're building a house and you decide that you need a board six feet long and you just decide to cut it anywhere you want, how do you know if that's six feet? You need a ruler. What God is saying is, is that I'm the standard, I'm the measure of determining what's right and wrong. This is where church people really get stuck with the gospel because they think if I go to church, if I pray enough, if I do my devotions, if, if I give enough, if I sacrifice enough, oh, oh, I'll get to heaven and God will be like, you did it, you made it, pat you on the back. No, hell is going to be filled with people who tried to be their own savior. But the same is true for those outside of the gospel that are saying, I don't believe that God's real. And God says, no, I don't believe that. I've revealed myself through what's created 
In fact, what the problem is, is that you have exchanged me for a truth that you wanted because it served your pleasure, it served your preferences, it served your passions. Martin Luther, again, he's, he's the father of the, the Reformation. He's, he talked about that not only being that you have to break and violate the idolatry. That's what Paul is saying here, that they not only glorified God, they didn't glorify God, thank God, but on top of that, they exchanged the truth that they knew about God for a lie. And then they began worshiping all kinds of idols. Now I'll tell you what, I don't know anywhere today where there is a temple to Zeus or to Apollo, but I know where there are churches to Jesus Christ. And I know that the Roman empire, uh, history, communism has set itself to silence the gospel, to shut it up. People have died for it. They have lived for it. It still continues on. Everybody tells me that man is getting better, but from the vantage point of history as the witness on the stand, we're not getting better. We're getting worse. We're just getting more sophisticated with our cover-ups. And he goes on and he's trying to establish one thing. You need a savior. I am your creator. You need a savior. Now, I don't want to get lost. I've recorded this message a couple of times, but I want to, again, encourage you to read Reasons for God in an Age of Skepticism because he goes in and talks about the new atheism with Richard Dawkins and uh, so many of them that are all surrounding some books, basically, that have gotten out into popular culture and has resonated really, really well. A lot of the arguments there are really older arguments, just recycled. And um, I think what we need, for those of you that might be listening, that might be uh, scholars, you need to start writing books that address that. It used to be that you could talk about, hey, I think creation is valid. You can't even do that. So you have to come out with the theory of intelligent design that holds that certain features of the universe of living things are best explained uh, by an intelligent cause and not an undirected process like natural selection. Here's an interesting question for you. If we evolved from apes, why are apes still here? That's just a logical question. I don't know if anyone's ever thought that through, but if we evolved from apes, why are apes still here? Why is there, if that was evolution? I mean, we could waste years fighting through this. And God says, I've done all the talking I need to do. Were you there for the birth of your daughter or son? Have you ever looked at the stars that man boasts how many light years we're away from the closest one, and yet he can't even fly in a rocket to Mars yet? Or we might get to Mars, and we'll be really proud of that. But what about the Andromeda galaxy? The Bible says this, he measured the stars with the span of his hand. Nobody is an atheist by birth. What man does is, is he suppresses the truth of God because when God shows up, he shows who he is, and it shows who we aren't, and it's an uncomfortable place. Here's an important thing. God is both love, and he is holy and just. He never lowers his standard of holiness and never acts any way that is unjust, nor does he ever give up being a loving God. He never gives up his love for his justice, nor his justice for his love. And this is what the gospel is all about. Those outside of the church in chapter two next week, those inside of the church, you're all lost. Listen to the description here. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. We said last week that God, God isn't 
the wrath of God being revealed isn't him striking people with diseases and death and destruction of dreams. It's him literally like a father saying, I'm going to wait for this to play out. And once they get hurt enough and they are ready for my help, I will be the first one there to take them in. But he gave them up in their lusts of their heart and impurities to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the served and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Now think about that for a second. Part of idolatry doesn't have to necessarily be a stone statue. It can be your own sexuality and feeding your own cravings. I mean, there's a thousand applications for this. It's when you take something that's good, sexuality, financial security, and making it an absolute. You want to know what somebody's false God is in their life? Don't look for what they are devoted to. Look to what, if you took it away, would cause their world to fall apart. That's how you find what somebody's idol is. Verse 26, for this reason, again, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relationships for those in contrary to nature. And likewise, men gave up natural relationships with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Let me hold right there. As soon as I do this, this isn't those of you outside of the church that begin to act undignified. It's those of you inside the church that do. Do you think for a minute that your gossip, your slander, your lust, your wickedness, your deception is a better sin or a better immorality than something like same-sex attraction? Do you actually think that you have standing before God better than anyone else? It, this, is, this is the problem with the church. Uh, I, I have many people who I love and know, and they know where I stand on this issue, and, and I'm putting it out here even now, but, but we don't stand on people with these things. I didn't set or write that verse. It's, it's in the gospel. But listen, listen to what I'm trying to say is more damage has been done by the church for self-righteousness. Listen, it, it, this was great. I, I love how one particular pastor was at a, a forum and they said to him, write this. He was invited to talk on the topic of homosexuality and lesbianism. And so the, the moderator began the whole conversation this way. It said, now you're here to talk to us as a pastor concerning homosexuality and lesbianism. So right now, right from the gate, uh, we, we all know that um, you believe that we're all going to hell. You know, I mean, that's just like throw a grenade right in the middle. And then he, he stopped and he said, wait a second. He said, don't put words in my mouth. He said, let me ask a question to everybody in the audience. Ten Commandments, God gives his standard of holiness and righteousness. He goes, let me ask you a question. Raise your hand, the second one of these. Have you ever exchanged God and made him second rate in your life rather than the most important thing in your life? Hands all over the room go up. Because how many of you have ever lied? Hands go up. How many of you have ever stolen? Hands go up. How many of you have ever coveted, committed adultery? He says, now that we've gotten this idea of, of who is a sinner and who isn't, what, does, what makes that particular sin central to the issue? We're all sinners. Now, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying here, and I'm going to say it very, very clearly, I think Romans says it clearly, is it lays out that men exchange natural relationships for unnatural, women natural for unnatural. God has a, if God created us, then he created our sexuality and he created a design for us. Paul's just trying to establish for people outside of the church. He Get ready next week. He's going after you inside the church. But he's saying, listen, 
I tried revealing myself to them. I have through what I've created. My holiness shows them what my standard is, but my son and his death on the cross shows them that I love them and will accept them. But some people can't handle that, don't want that, don't want to hear that they're not a good person. Nobody in heaven is going to be there because they were a good person. Hell is going to be filled with people because they thought they were good enough. Nobody's good enough. Put one person in the lowest pit, put them on the highest mountain, neither of them can touch a star. Go on a little bit further. For this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. Wait, we read that. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so now they've moved on from removing God, suppressing truth. They won't even acknowledge him. God gave them over again, the wrath of God, him handing you over to, and he gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, if we are tearing down the sin list here and we're saying, oh man, this is a downward spiral of humanity. Guess what? Listen to what's at the bottom of the barrel. Evil. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. That's having somebody having something you want. Malice. They're full of envy, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. You didn't find a sin that hits that list. Don't worry. We can create one for you. Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents at the bottom. They know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, but they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. In other words, everybody is hopelessly quiet and lost. The gospel is not about good people and bad people. The gospel says, unless you're willing to admit you're sick, you'll never look for a cure. The gospel is saying, if you're not willing to acknowledge that God is real, you're without excuse because he's revealed himself through creation. We could philosophize and apply polemics and debate and get into politics and sociology and all kinds of scientific disciplines. And it comes back to the fact God says, no, I've created you in my image. I created the world. You've seen your children born. I'm real. You just don't want the idea of my reality might be that reality. I said this before, Christianity, if Christianity's wrong, we will have been people who were like a dog chasing its tail and barking and biting people as they pass by. Now, I'd like to think that I'm a good dog and I just chased my tail and just was like, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> um, but if Christianity's right and your thinking's wrong, you will have been somebody who has drunk poison and has been handed the antidote, but you refused to drink it or examine it because you disliked the logo and label on it. Don't you think it's worth a little bit more attention than a tweet and a TikTok video and a parody and a post? I challenge you to read Reasons for God in an Age of Skepticism. I encourage you and challenge you you've never read the Bible to pick up the book of Romans. And I encourage you to continue with us here going back if you've just started and going forward as we look at the gospel. And this is the gospel. God created you and he loves you. And he designed you to be with him. But sin came into the world 
and separated us from him. And although God is holy and he couldn't remove his standard, he willingly is love and willingly sent himself in the form of Jesus and died and took the penalty that should be ours and rose from the dead to show that he's not only the author who took away our sins, but he can give to us life and says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. Eternity's real. Heaven's real. Jesus is real. Isn't it worth a little more attention to it? And I'd like to pray two things. One, there's some of you that are in the church, Christians, maybe this church, but just the church as a whole. You've been one harsh critic. I want you to know something. For every finger you pointed at to others, there were four others pointing right back at you. Nobody's going to be in heaven because they were good enough. Second is this. For those of you that are out there and you've never even really given the idea of God real thought, or you've just heard a lot of people that have given enough reasons or a few lectures in college that somebody's ranted and given you their opinion, don't you have a mind of your own? Couldn't you? Isn't it worth a closer examination to examine the gospel, that if this is true and it's the antidote, isn't it worth giving it a shot? I like to pray for us now for those two things. One, first of all, Lord, I come to you for those of us that have been the church, where we haven't been a good representation of you. In fact, we have been the guide to sin. I'm just looking at the screen right now. Look at this. As I'm here and I'm saying that, there's somebody right out there You've been leading somebody completely in a sinful path and you're guilty of it. And you're just as guilty and wrong for what you're doing. It's filthy. It's disgusting. But you would pretend to know God and be that guide for that girl in that direction. And God says, enough is enough. Stop it. Father, right now I pray for every single one out there that is pretending to be better than everybody else. I ask that you would help us to humble ourselves and know that the church is just as lost as everyone else. But I pray right now for those people that have never really given you much thought. Or maybe they have only heard one slant or maybe they've got some things in their life on that list that I read. And when you show up, it just shows them what needs to change. God, I pray that you would begin to take them on a journey, that they would give more attention to what's around them to see that there's a God and he's real. There's a God and we're not it. There's a God who sent his son Jesus to die and take the punishment for their sins so that he could raise us up and be back with you the way that you intended it. Lord, I ask that you'd begin that journey for them in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Hope you tune in next week as we light up the church. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. Make sure to follow us on social media and go to lowellag.org for all updates. We'll see you next week.